Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes today afresh. Lord, we ask in the season of Epiphany that every single one of us in this room would have uh, an individual epiphany, a revelation, a self-disclosure of who you are in a new and special way this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So some of you may know that I was in the army before I became a priest. Um, and they used to say that the four most dangerous things that you could hear in the army were this. A colonel saying, I have an idea. <laughs> or a sergeant saying, trust me, sir. <laughs> or a warrant officer saying, watch this stuff. That's the sanitized version of that. Or I think the most dangerous was actually a lieutenant saying, based on my experience. <laughs> so why do I say that? Okay, so we've looked, uh, we're in a series uh, in Epiphany, which Epiphany means God's self-disclosure or revealing is what it means. Um, we're looking at how God communicates. So two weeks ago, we looked at how God communicates through Christ. Last week, we looked at how God communicates through other Christians. We looked at the confession of St. Peter on that one. And then this week, we're looking at how God communicates through conscience. He has shown you, O mortal. And the older one says, O man. Maybe it's because men need to hear it more than women. I don't know. Just kidding. But he has shown you, O man. What is it the Lord requires of you? That you do justice, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly. And then we get to the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We could read all of the, all of the 12 Beatitudes, it would just, all 12 verses, and it would, just be, it would just be amazing. It would also wreck us. But the point is, is that God speaks to us through conscience. So why did I tell you that thing about lieutenants and whatnot? Well, I remember when I was a new lieutenant, I, I spent four years before that as a cadet, and I, I had to learn land navigation. Um, I had to learn orienteering. And um, so we would use compasses and we'd use a map and that would teach us how to navigate and, and find our way through the woods, through hill and dale and forest and whatnot. So as I was looking up this idea of conscience, we, we have a word in the Greek New Testament for conscience, but there is no word in the Old Testament for conscience. In fact, there is no word in Hebrew until the beginning of the 20th century when Ben Yehuda was resurrecting this old liturgical language, which... Before that, you just spoke Yiddish at home. Like, that's what you spoke, or you spoke uh, 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 Ladino if, you, if you're Jewish. You didn't speak, that was like Latin. That's what you did, you know, when you went to synagogue, you, you, you used Hebrew, but other than that, you didn't do that. So they didn't have a word for um, conscience. So Ben Yehuda in the late 1800s, early 1900s, creates a word, and the word that he chose was magspen, which actually means, well, magspen is the word compass. So he decided to change the vowel, to magspun, and that means conscience. Have you ever heard someone say, I gotta follow my true north? Well, your, your conscience is your true north. It's that, that inner small voice in your head um, that tells you what you should or shouldn't do. So there's, there's three things that we can learn from all the passages, whether it's the, the psalmist who's telling us about this blameless life that the Lord wants us to lead, and that if that that, this, that he speaks to us in that still, small voice. If we read also in, in Corinthians about the wisdom of God that shames the foolishness of the, the, the wisdom of the world, and it makes that look foolish. 
that still small voice of the Beatitudes that tells us, that, you know, the world says that the strong, that might makes right, and that, 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 that the strong will inherit the, the world. And you read the Beatitudes and you say, the meek inherit the world? There's something there that tells you, you know what? I think that is way, way closer to the truth than might makes right or even, you know, Darwin's survival of the fittest, the strongest, the cleverest. But God speaks to us three ways. And John Cardinal, uh, John Cardinal Newman, who was, uh, he was an Anglican priest, a chaplain of Oriel College in Oxford, um, and then he swam the Tiber, went over to Rome, but he writes about this. He says, this is conscience. It's our souls interacting with the being in the exterior who is superior to us. The conscience has an interior element, an exterior element, and a superior element. That's how our consciences work. There's an interior element, there's an exterior element, and there's a superior element. An interior element. I, I have an amazing daughter, Zippy, um, and she's only three, but I know when she knows that she's done something that's slightly off form, I just look at her and she'll go, oh, sorry, Daddy, because she knows she shouldn't have done that. You know, okay, let's, let's use this illustration, right? It, you don't have to show your hands, but there is confession and absolution afterwards. There will be prayer ministry. <laughs> How many of you have gone to a coffee shop and brought something else in with you to the coffee shop from a different place? Like a cookie or a cake or whatever, and you kind of keep it underneath the table, and then when the barista's not walking, watching you, like, great. No need to confess. God already knows, okay? But the point is, we, we, in England we say, oh, that's bad form. Or we say it's not good manners here in, in America. It's, the conscience is more than that. But there's still something inside us that says, you know, that's, that's bad form. We probably shouldn't do that. You know, let me illustrate to you this way. Let's say, you know, God reveals himself through Christ, like we said before, through creation. Uh, he also revealed himself through his, through his special revelation there on Mount Sinai where he gives us the Ten Commandments, right? But he also gives us this internal voice that's not the Ten Commandments. It's that still small voice that you and I all hear. Now just imagine that God's nice, right? He is. But this is him, right? You know, he's like, look, I really like you guys and I don't want to judge you because, you know, we're not going to judge, right? I don't want to judge you. I'm not going to judge you by my Ten Commandments, not by my standards, okay? I'm going to just judge you by your standards, right? But I'm going to give you a, I'd say tape recorder, but not all you guys would know what that is. I'm going to give you an invisible MP3 recorder hanging around your neck. And every time you go to someone throughout your lifetime, every time you said you should do something to someone, the little button records. And then at the end of your life, God says, you know, I'm just going to reply, I'm just going to play every time you said should. And guess what? You don't, no one wants to be should on, right? We shouldn't go around shitting on people. But anyway, I digress. The point is, is that God says, I'm not going to judge you by my standards, not the Ten Commandments, just by your own standards. So tell me why I should let you into heaven. And every time you said should, that <coughs> place, would you even live up to your own interior, still, small voice? So conscience is this interior voice that we all have. These big, gigantic yeses to what we should do, and these big, gigantic noes that we shouldn't do. And we know that we shouldn't do them, we know that we should do them. And sometimes we follow that conscience, sometimes we don't. But the second thing that we find is that there's an exterior voice besides that interior voice that interacts. 
So the word conscience for us in English comes from two words, conscience, right? Or conscientia from the Latin, with knowledge. There's something alongside us, something exterior that comes alongside us and speaks to us. You see, you can't say that we're just the, there's something exterior to us, and here's why I say that. We're not just something that kind of like evolved and stepped out of a swamp and started watching UF games, right? Oh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Wait, that's the swamp, right? Anyway, but the point is, um, we didn't just come from a little primordial soup and, and then just somehow decide we like this and we don't like that. I'm not saying that, that, that it wasn't guided. It absolutely was guided by God. But here's the thing. Nietzsche, so he was a guy that didn't believe in God. I think he just had some God issues. I still think that it deep down his heart, even though he claimed to be an atheist, Nietzsche, who was this big influence on Hitler, um, in his book he says, we, we killed, God is dead. And now we can do whatever we want. The problem is we've got this thing called conscience this inner turned in on ourselves that we have. And that's just something that we haven't evolved past yet. It's just something vestigial that maybe we'll grow past and out of that and we'll stop feeling guilty about things. Well, the truth of the matter is that you and I know that there's this universal right and wrong out there. Almost every culture throughout the world knows that thou shalt not lie. Even if you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, you know that, that to, to, to tell a lie breaks apart the social fabric of where we are. Or we, we, we also know that you don't have to know the Ten Commandments to know thou shalt not murder. Now, we sometimes, different cultures might skirt around that and make little exceptions here and there, like, oh, well, there, here's the exception clause. But I think we all know, deep in our hearts, that we shouldn't do that. There are some shoulds that are just there. There's something outside of us that speaks to that inside of us. Are you familiar at all with that, the, the new um, film that was a remake of Pinocchio with uh, Tom Hanks? And you got Jiminy Cricket, and you can almost hear that song in your head when you hear the word conscience, right? Always let your conscience be your guide, which is great. But I think Jiminy C Cricket is wrong. And here's why I think he's wrong. Because I think conscience is a great thing. It's conscientia, with knowledge. The problem is... If you train your conscience one way, you can get it to start doing wrong things. I, I uh, have served as a priest for, uh, for, for many years, uh, and before I was a priest, I was also a minister. And I remember doing bedside visits to, to veterans. And I remember talking to this one veteran who um, was a U.S. veteran, and at the end of his life, he just wanted to unburden himself. And he talked about how when he was over in Holland, um, he received sniper fire. His, and one of his platoon mates was, was killed. And so they went and they burned the whole village down. They didn't know where the sniper was, but they just decided to do that. He hadn't told anyone, but he told me. Why? He knew that at the end of his life, he wanted to have a clean conscience. Clean conscience. We all want a clean conscience. But you see, some of us, we, we know that, okay, here's what I should do, here's what I shouldn't do. But St. Paul tells us that it's also possible to do things to our conscience to make it not do what it's built to do. He talks about weak consciences. He talks about seared consciences. It's possible to, and I love grilling, right? So if you're a vegetarian, forgive me. Don't, I don't think you're carnophobic, okay? You'll just have to forgive me. Hopefully you'll still be my friend. Um, but I like to sear steaks, and I like them medium rare, because I sear it so that all the goodness is trapped inside, and it doesn't escape. 
But the point of searing the steak is because I don't want what's inside getting out. And we can sear our conscience so that all that goodness inside there doesn't speak to us or challenge us or say, I probably shouldn't do that, Pete. You probably shouldn't think the things you're doing or do the things you're doing. It's possible to sear our conscience, St. Paul tells us. Paul also says that we can actually, and so that's, I think we can, have an, we can have an underdeveloped sense of conscience. But we can also have an overdeveloped sense of conscience. And St. Paul writes about that in his letter to the Corinthians. He talks about people with weak consciences versus strong consciences. And what he means about that is that, you see, today we go to Publix, right? You want to get some chicken or turkey or beef? You go to Publix, you go to the meat market, and you're done. In, in the ancient Greek world, if you wanted to get meat, the meat was mainly at temples. That's where you got your meat. So the meat would have been butchered by a priest, would have had a prayer set over it to Diana, to Artemis, or to uh, Mars, or Ares, or Zeus. Um, and then you would buy that meat. And so that meat was offered to someone other than the one true God of Israel. And so here's what St. Paul says. He's saying that, that it's, it's possible for you and I as believers, as people that follow Jesus, to have an overdeveloped sense of conscience. I'm not saying it's a, it's a, that's a, they have a tender, a tender conscience is a good thing. But what Paul is saying is that you can be so crippled by conscience that it doesn't allow you to experience God's goodness. The hymn writer John Wesley, he and his brother both went to, uh, they, they, they both were um, ministers in the Methodist church. He was, and John Wesley was an Anglican priest. But Charles Wesley writes in his hymn, Oh, four thousand, well, no, sorry, it's not oh, 4,000 dogs. It's, um, he says, he breaks the power of canceled sin in one of his hymns. And what, what is the power of canceled sin? If sin has been forgiven on the cross, what power does that sin have over you? What is the power of canceled sin? It's guilt. And there may be some of us here wondering, can I be forgiven? Are there certain things, there's certain things that I can be forgiven for. Those are small things, but there's other things that no one else knows about me, but if God were to know that, would he actually even forgive me for that? But he breaks the power of canceled sin. God takes your weak conscience and makes it strong. Because you see, here's the thing, that internal voice that might be that bit that roars and accuses against you, there is an advocate Therefore, we have an advocate before the Father who stands and pleads in our defense. And what he says, what Jesus says, is that there's nothing that you could do that can make God love you any less. And there's nothing that you could do that can make God love you more. That's grace. That's what strengthens your conscience. That's the kind of thing that says, I want, it's not should, now it's I want rather than I should do something. That transforms your will, it frees your will to follow. God speaks to us through our conscience. But ultimately, he doesn't speak just in an interior way or an exterior way. He speaks in a superior way. What do I mean by that? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God speaks through creation. He speaks through other people. Okay, that's just, that's kind of subjective. It's not 
objectively true or something that speaks objectively to us. But how does God objectively speak to us? Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. There's a, there's a point where you are going to see God. God will meet you. The, the psalmist, David writes in Psalm 51, he says, create in me a pure heart of God. And, and we say that sometimes during the ablutions where, where the, the, the priest will wash his hands before coming to the table. Create in me, in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. Wash me and I shall be clean. Well, the writer of Hebrews picks up on that and then Kramer picks up on this and throws it into a prayer that we're going to read at the very end of my sermon. But he says this in Hebrews chapter 10, 22. The, the author of Hebrews says this. Draw near to God with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse the conscience and have our bodies washed with pure water. And that word washed with pure water is something that Cranmer picks up when he writes that beautiful prayer that we used in Rite 1. That is so beautiful, guess what? The Methodists copied it. And the Presbyterians, and it even made it into Vatican II. But we won't tell our brothers and sisters that, right? He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? That you do justice, that you love mercy, and you walk humbly. God calls us to walk humbly because we know that we don't even measure up, not to his standards, but to our own standards. But because that there's a greater voice outside of us, a superior voice that speaks into our interior and tells us that we are loved. Here's these words from 1549, and I'm going to read them. They're not the ones from our prayer book because in 79 we made a change. So it's more like the, the 1928. And the reason I say that is today we're going to actually welcome Nancy and, and Marcus. Nancy, you were brought up using the, the I got, were a lot of y'all brought up using the 28 prayer book? Some of y'all? Okay, but I'm going to use those words because those are the older words. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies, we are not so much worthy as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean and our souls be washed through his most precious blood that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. So we're going to come to the table, to this table. And after that, we will also have a time for, for, for prayer. If anyone would like prayer after communion or even after the service, we will, some of the daughters of the king and I will also be available to just uh, pray for you. Maybe you need your conscience strengthened. Maybe you need your conscience softened. Or maybe you just need to hear that pardon that your conscience has been sprinkled clean by his most precious blood. So Father, we thank you for the gift of conscience where you whisper of your love to us and you shout to us of your goodness. So Lord, we ask that um, as we come to this table and we come to a time of prayer and then confession, we would receive that forgiveness, that we would know that we can be forgiven that we are loved beyond measure. 
We ask this all in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen.